Okay. Ready? Welcome to the Jesus Said Love podcast. Season four, and we have some big announcements. The podcast started as an extension of our work and ministry with survivors of sexual exploitation and trafficking. However, these conversations exposed a broader cultural issue impacting Christ followers. So starting in season four, this podcast will attempt to explore the big question, how do we live and love like Jesus today? We are moving the podcast under the religion and spirituality category to explore the wide context of Christ following. So please share the show with others. In this podcast, we will give space for conversation, compassion, and courage as we seek to love God and love our neighbor. Lastly, we're looking to grow our support as there has been no budget for this podcast. So if you listen to the show, would you consider supporting us even at $5 a month by going to JesusSaidLovePodcast.com? Supporters will get bonus content and savings on resources like books, products, and conferences, and raw live video footage of the recording. So how do we live and love like Jesus? Let's find out. All right, here we go. Hello, darling. <laughs> oh, hello. Hello, Brett. Are you, are you talking to me or, or our guest? Well, I'll let you you figure out who I was talking oh to. Oh, my gosh. I, was, I, just to look up, I just happened to look up out my window and realize it is a gloomy day here in Waco, Texas. It is a gloomy and day in Waco. for some reason, I felt country music. And Hello Darling is the greatest Hello, beginning darling. of any country song in Texas. That's true. That's true. Well, I've been I'm to glad- Waco, Texas like seven times. What? You have? I have tons of friends in Waco. Well, I bet they don't Some know you're time. on the podcast yet, so that's exciting. <laughs> they probably don't. <laughs> well, now you got two more, so let's go. Come back. Yeah, let's party. Excellent. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I, yeah, I'm so excited to be here with our guest today. It is Carla Ru- Ru- Carlos Rodriguez. And let me tell you, um, the happy givers, if you're not following his work, you're going to want to just go ahead and as you listen, start following all the beautiful stuff that they're doing. Cause I have all the questions today. <laughs> um, we That's are sweet. we are in love with the way that in which you're building beautiful things, in which you're empowering um, marginalized groups and broken. You're healing. You're bringing healing to communities, and it's just incredible to even bear witness from afar. So thanks for jumping on, and I hope um, I hope this is going to be a fun time for you too. So thanks for all the way from Puerto Rico, right? Yes. Vega Baja, Puerto Rico, where Bad Bunny's from. He was a bagger like 10 minutes <laughs> yes, That's <here>. right. <laughs> Learned oh about gosh. Bad Bunny we last did. year. That's all Bad we Bunny's listened awesome. to. He's a good dude. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know all the thing he was he's saying, but road. I was like... He's like... He won like the Spotify's most stream artist of the year this year. And for a little oh, yeah. town like ours, that's like everything. Like, you have to understand, this is like, we're like outside of San Juan, there's poverty, um, you know, it, last four years is basically trauma upon trauma. We've done two massive hurricanes, earthquakes, in the middle of that pandemic begins. Um, we went from both U.S. administrations, because we are in American territory, that were really not taking care of us, to local administrations that were stealing everything that was coming in. So... You know, any anything that I say in this conversation, um, our people are the heroes. They've been the overcomers or the ones still making good food, still celebrating Christmas, still dancing and partying and having a good time and enjoying, you know, the coastline, the parts that are that are not being destroyed. And, and so there's all this trauma that we're legitimately carrying as a people, right, as, a, as the community that is here, that is based here. And there's all this beauty and all this goodness that can still come out of that. And so we are definitely a contradiction, a tension of American citizens that are very much Latinos, not Americans really in culture and in presence. Um, Where we live in a country where you can go to a super nice mall and then 20 minutes down the road, you're you're faced with extreme poverty, um, like compared to the poorest places in the whole world. So that's where I am. I, I'm a Puerto Rican that loves Puerto Rico, born and raised in Puerto Rico, but I live 40% of my life outside of Puerto Rico. So I'm constantly 
managing those tensions myself. And it is well, it's t- crazy because I have been to Waco. I've always, I, when I was pastoring, because I was a pastor for many years, I would get invited to that big church, Antioch, I think it's called. Um, yeah. And I would speak at events and conferences. And the Spanish church in Antioch, some of the pastors are good friends of mine from the past. And so I got this, right? Yeah. I got this story that's so in the in-between. Um, and these conversations helped me to center myself again. So thank you. Okay, Carlos, we were in Puerto Rico like a year, like two years ago, maybe? A year ago? Was it just a year? Three, three, babe, it's 2021. It was three years? Well, it was pre-pandemic. Well, crap, I guess you're right. I totally forgot. But here's what I do know. Here's what I do know. Number one, I fell in love with the Puerto Rican people. The kindest, most welcoming, and party on the plaza, let's go kind of people. Number two, we were there when y'all were having a, I think the, there was an outgoing governor and everybody was down on the center waving flags. You were because there. Was, you were so here. my daughter, we were my there. daughter and I, we got, we got up on the barricade thing and waving flags and they were like, look, they're from tech, get them a, give them a flag. And we're like, Viva <laughs> no, Puerto Rico. No. Yeah. No. It was amazing. <laughs> and the last, the last thing I'll say is uh, what we brought back with us was pincho. Oh, yes. the pincho! Actually, that's lunch. That's lunch when I'm done here. Mm. And our daughter, mm, mm, mm. who loves to bake, came back with an obsession in Mallorca. She wanted mm, to know. Mm. She Mallorca. she had to know how to make the Mallorca, so she that's was practicing. Awesome. Where did you guys stay? So we were at a little church between Catalina and Trujillo Alto. Trujillo Alto, yeah. My parents live in Trujillo Alto. Okay. And it was um, the Metropolis Church, Baptist Metropolis. Iglesia, Iglesia Bautista, Bautista Metropolis. Iglesia Bautista de Metropolis. Jesus ah, Metropolis, Rodriguez. Yeah, the actual, Metropolis, no, Jesus, the actual place. Okay. Awesome. Jesus Garcia was the pastor. Yeah. I know the church. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't think we've met with the pastors, but I know who. I know where, and that's awesome. How yeah. random and yeah. lovely. Well, it's it's great. We have um, actually one of the women that we met in the clubs years ago in Waco, Texas. So this is how incredible connections are. It's just weird. Um, we met this woman in the club. So she's working in the strip mm-hmm. club in Waco, Texas, <clears throat> and. Our outreach team goes in and we're building connections and she comes up to us and she's like, I, hey, I, I, this is my first week here and I don't want to be here. I'm not supposed to be here. So we start having these, all these conversations. She's from Puerto Rico. Her mom uh-huh. actually lives in Puerto Rico still um, mm-hmm. and was affected by the hurricane. Anyway, it was just this crazy world of connection that here we are, you know, and then being able to go back and... Um, do some hurricane relief work. Um, it was just incredible. The uh, I, resilience sounds like um, cliche. I feel like people are throwing that word around a lot for the culture, but um, mm. I, I don't. I think that I was a little bit surprised by the joy. Yeah, yeah. good of 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 <laughs> the people and. Yeah. I just, I just was amazed at how hard they had been hit so many times by hurricanes. The mm. government is collapsing. There's mm. all this political tension happening, even back in the states. And do we want to be a part of what's going on in America? I mean, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah. the the culture it really is one of of joy and hospitality. Yeah. I just, what's that about, Carlos? You grew up there. Tell us what we need to know. <laughs> what, what, what can we learn as just these privileged, you know, white Americans? Like, wh- what do we need to learn? What do you want, uh, what do you want the American church to know? Mm. I mean, you I got a raised. book coming out, flip, Flipping Tables or something. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> flipping Tables. Sounds funny when somebody else says <laughs> says the title of the book. Yeah, it's called Flip the Tables. <laughs> flipping Tables or something. Um, no, I was I was I was born and raised in a home very broken. Um, both my parents in their second marriage, their marriage collapsing, and they found a way for me to never call my half sisters half sisters, 
for my dad's ex-wife to be involved in my life because she's the mother of my sisters. And I call her to this day, Mama Belinda, different to my mom, Mama. Mm. Um, my dad's, my mom's ex-husband, he's in all the Christmas photos just as much because he's the dad of my of sister number three. And in the midst of turmoil and difference of opinions, difference of expression, we were always welcomed at the table. And that's why the story of Jesus outside of that makes no sense to me, where we draw lines to exclude people, um, even the people we would dislike the most, even the people that I feel comfortable challenging, right? Um, there's still always mm -hmm. place at the table for them. Um, and hopefully part of that is the gospel was being preached in the most broken place with what's my family without it being labeled the gospel. Um, and my parents mm -hmm. were doing that by again, being, mm -hmm. being borderline on their second divorce, but always welcoming the family to the table. We were intentionally coming together, sitting together, eating together, talking, Arguments would happen, whatever, but the table was always open and there was always a place. So, you know, I, I it made no sense to me when I was pastoring in America. I pastored in Raleigh, North Carolina for 10 years for the table to be this place. You either pay your way in or you believe your way in or you or you or you earn your way in, whether by the right mm. thinking or the right doing. Uh, it just it, it made no sense to me. It was always foreign to me, abnormal to me. And so, you know, I, I got into a lot of trouble because of that. But then I figured maybe <laughs> if, if we really believe in this. And I learned that in Puerto Rico, in a place of need, because I moved mm. back to Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, let's just freaking open the table. And I could not care less who wants to come and sit and eat. There's always food. Yeah. And so we we literally do that every uh, yeah. Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. We have a social kitchen, and we have about 101 families now that we actually have identified. They have a need. We have social workers that visit them. This is what they need. This is the dietary restrictions, or this is what um, extra things they need in their meals. But Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, they're going to get a hot meal from our team. They are, and then whoever wants to come, whether guests from outside, our neighbors, literal neighbors, the table is open, and we're trying to live that out and. We're, we're going wow. broke doing it, but it's it's the most <laughs> satisfying thing in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. How how did Happy Givers start? Because honestly, my first introduction was mm. a t-shirt to the mm. to your work. Yeah, it was like good. all of a sudden everyone was wearing the t-shirt. And I'm like, where's uh, this t-shirt from? Yeah, I mean, and, it, and it led me on this journey of discovering. <laughs> That's cool. In a, uh, when when you're in Rome, be like the Romans, right? When you're in a capitalistic society, right. use a bit of capitalism yeah. too. Uh, there you go. To, to the work that you need to do. Yeah. And so basically, <laughs> I'm getting fired from the church that I planted. And I have this children's home in Peru that it's burning in my heart to serve them, to love them, to fund it. And I gather some creative friends and I serve them rice and beans and good wine. I was still in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I said... How can I fund this project, right? This children's home. Mm. And they're like, well, some of those statements that you've done, you know, that are maybe a bit viral on Twitter or something that really got people riled up on Facebook, turn them into T-shirts. And I was like, that's mm. it. Took me 48 mm. hours to find. There's websites everywhere. You can kind of put your art on shirts yeah. and they'll print them and ship them for you. And so that's right. that began the kind of process of, hey, we have this project that I really care about. And if I depend on donations exclusively, then the donor is in control of the conversation because they yep. have the power to say, talk about that or don't talk about that. So right. the empowerment of a social enterprise gave me, gave us the team permission to still be part of uncomfortable conversations that would alienate big donors. Mm. <laughs> and so mm. we started doing shirts. Some of them be kind. Some of them flip the tables of oppression with a brown <laughs> Jesus. Some of them love thy neighbor with a really cute list. Some of them love thy neighbor with a really intense list. Uh, some of them statements that, you know, I, I, I have been working on for previous books and stuff that I preached that really connected. 
And it was always like, okay, we got a new artwork. What is that for? Well, that now is going to support the houses we're rebuilding in Puerto Rico. And you have to sell a lot of freaking T-shirts to build one roof. So we had to like really push the brand and happygivers.com really grew um, in such a way. You know, we moved our whole family here, extended our team here, hired social workers and contractors. And and then now even more rewarding, we brought the production here. So we got six employees that are printing these shirts here, um, really dreaming of actually doing the production of the actual shirt soon also here. Not just the printing, but the actual textiles here. So it's kind of like an ecosystem of like um, social enterprises helping social justice happen um, while the table is always open. That's basically it. Yeah. It's sustainable. And now now to take on the offering. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, it's beautiful. So if you are, um, have you always had this prophetic voice and kind of enmeshed with entrepreneurial endeavors? Like where did that come about in your life story? Yeah. um, So I was raised Catholic, culturally Catholic, got saved, got saved. (laughs) The language we use is awesome. (laughs) I got saved at a Billy Graham crusade in Puerto Rico in 96. I almost got unsaved because of Franklin Graham. Um, but, um, uh-huh. I, uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. I, uh, I was mostly in the charismatic Pentecostal world in my really formative Christian experience, even though I really, I've never, I never found a place in my heart to deny the Catholic tradition. I was always very comfortable going to mass with my family members who are Catholic I actually went to a, pub, a school in Puerto Rico that was a Baptist school, Southern Baptist school. So there was never, a, I, I had friends, pastors, leaders who were in that part of that you know world that I was comfortable with. But the place that I felt the most comfortable myself where I would have a voice was in the more Pentecostal charismatic world. Um, and maybe a bit different to how it is in the States where that has become way too alienated with power in, mm. in the South. And when I mean the, the, the global South, it's, right. it's more the Pentecostal charismatic world that it's like more inclusive. Hey, if the spirit's on you. If you're a baby, <laughs> if you're a woman, if you just got saved yesterday, if the spirit's on you, you got a place. And so I was yeah. always that going back to the table. I was always attracted to that. Like the spirit's on you. Come on, you worship, yeah. you pray. So when you use a term like prophetic voice, being from more of a charismatic Pentecostal background, prophetic voice meant the prophet that would, you know, there's a sin. Somebody uh, would be masturbating in the crowd uh, <laughs> of a hundred young boys. The right. great prophet said. Yeah. And you know what I mean? <laughs> that that was and so I start I start communicating a bit more of my discontent. I start calling out more of those sacred cows inside of the evangelical world that I was part of. Um, the charismatic Pentecostal world starts marrying the evangelical world. And I'm starting to say, that makes no sense from what you told me the last 20 years. Can we have a conversation? And, you know, and then I realized. How did that go? Really badly. (laughs) It went terribly. It went, you know, losing um, 20 year relationships Losing spiritual fathers that actually invested in me, that made room for me, that that gave me platforms. Um, And what I like to say (laughs) non-publicly, and I'll say publicly, is this bizarre. Yes, we are public. The the Trump era has this bizarre gift to me, which is the gift of clarity. In the context of the church world, the Trump era said, okay, this is what some of my most closest friends really think about immigrants. And here's what some mm-hmm. of my really close white pastor friends think about the black pastor pastor next door. And it brought this right. kind of like hurtful, painful, destructive clarity, but clarity still. Like, mm-hmm. this is actually where I stand on this subject. This is what I truly, really believe about this. And then I'm faced mm-hmm. with somebody who I love, who I care for, 
who truly significantly stands on the other side of that conversation. And so going back to my parents and the brokenness of our table as a family, ultimately, I thought it was a positive thing. At least we know where we stand. At least we can have an actual honest conversation because my first 20 years inside of charismatic evangelical Christianity in America was all facades and masks and performance Mm. and the lights and the stages. Whereas then comes this wave of clarity, if you can call it that. Like, oh, wow, that's really what you think about Puerto Ricans as American citizens. Oh, Oh, you, it's not like a dramatic thing. It's not like a hyperbole thing. Like, oh, we are actually not going to get help. We're actually mm, not getting right. the medications we need. Right. Me, Carlos Rodriguez, I'm actually visiting homes that then I visit them again three weeks later and people have died because they don't have dialysis medication Ugh. in America, right? You want to call us America? And, and so, oh, all these people were helping the nonprofit as we started to come to Puerto Rico and started to do work. And then the president starts saying, no, Puerto Rico's fine. Like they didn't have it that bad. And then donations went from, yeah, you know, zero from 60 back to zero in no time. Mm. Um, and so again, all that, yeah, to answer your question, a lot of trouble. It brought me a lot of trouble, um, a lot of discontent and a lot of broken relationships, unfortunately. Uh I am, I'm sitting here. My gut is like in knots at such the similarities that we have, Emily and I have walked with, Mm. you know, having the, the, the explosion of these ideas that we were taught, you know, 20 some odd years Mm. ago, you know, purity culture and that bullshit Mm. that, Mm. and that, that we are seeing, um, affecting marriages today, like good intentions, Mm. but really poor execution. Like, like sure. if you know God's not going to kill you for that. So um, anyway, all that to say, it it has. It's been sad and tragic to to lose twenty year friendships over over some doctrinal things. And so you have mm. a shirt that says "People over profit," and I've just been mm. thinking about this thought: people over doctrine. Like, how can yeah. we choose? <laughs> you know, could, that Jesus is over doctrine, and mm. and so to to like take these stances that then you're like willing to get up from the table and never return again because you just don't yeah. believe like the person across from you is yeah. so anti-Jesus. It's wild. And so it's wild. I, I think my question, how, how do you reconcile that? Mm-hmm. Something that is, I would consider traumatic in my own life, you mm-hmm. know, bordering, maybe it is spiritual abuse at some points along the way, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. how do you reconcile that in a, I want to come back to the table still because most Mm. people would be like birds up. We're out. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And I don't blame those people. And, and, and that might be at that moment, birds up. That might be the holiest thing for them Mm. at that moment to have permission to even process Mm. that. Right. That might be Mm. Jesus himself right there. And you know, the story of the two disciples, preachers out now the story of the two disciples as they're walking out of jerusalem after crucifixion and they're so disappointed because they have all these illusions of what would happen because of jesus and jesus appears to them and in the most phenomenal way does not reveal himself to them and they have this whole conversation where they're like expressing their anguish like we thought and and they murdered him and here's god right um, allowing them to like bleh, to flip, mm-hmm. to be angry, mm-hmm. to be disappointed, and literally to be walking outside of Jerusalem, to be leaving the place where you always find God, where you bring your offerings, where you where you see right, where you see the temple, where God's presence is meant to be. They're walking away from that, fully disappointed, angry, confused. Jesus shows up. He's not trying to be like, okay, here's the new way. Okay, good job deconstructing. Let me now construct it back. No, he's like fully, <laughs> he's fully in the journey of the deconstruction. And and again, going back, I, I, I'm sorry that I can't, I go back to that. It's at the table when they sit down where they recognize, 
Weren't our hearts burning as Jesus is breaking the bread and offering the wine to them? They realized this. It was him. He was revealed to them. And they knew because their hearts were burning. So my heart is still burning. I don't go to church on Sundays, but my heart is still burning. I I can't watch a sermon online, but my heart is still burning. I, I, I have, yeah. I have real, I, I have to unfollow a lot of the people that I would follow in the past. Cause I can't even, even stuff that I know would be good that I could consume from them. I can't, but my heart is still burning. Yeah. Right. And, and mm. my heart is still burning for Jesus. And I'm choosing the energy that I would spend in those connections that are not there anymore. And I'm not going to force them. So I'm choosing two things. Number one, to spend them with at the margins with the people that nobody's paying attention to with the elderly uh, with single moms with neighbors here in Vega Baja and Vega Alta that are broken that are literally hungry and who gives a crap what I believe if they're going hungry the least important thing is my belief in heaven or hell or (laughs) like it it couldn't matter any less like I'm hungry I don't have a roof I don't have a freaking bed to sleep in my grandchildren haven't been to school for four years because of all the different trauma that we've been through. So my heart is still if burning. If you see someone in need and you don't yeah. do anything about it, how dwells the love of God in you? Yeah. Straight up. Straight up. That's what you're doing. I hope so. And I, I, it's definitely overwhelming because there, then you see more and more need. And it's definitely overwhelming mm-hmm. because a lot of those connections in the past that would have supported and that would have helped yeah. don't anymore. So, you know, it's you know, not, not to make this super sad, but that's just a reality right now. I think, <clears throat> I think that as I listened to this, I was fighting back some tears and be, because your voice is, is also, um, as our listeners, I just know, I know our following and I know the people who listen to our work and our, our podcast. And there are so many people right now whose hearts are still burning and they are, uh, they, they feel outcast. They feel like they don't belong because, um, of what they ate, what they consumed, what they believed, what they were indoctrinated with, <laughs> mm. no longer feeds them. Mm. And, and they were asked to leave the table or they, they yeah, were like, no, peace out. We can't, we can't support a racist institution. Like, mm. I'm sorry, my mm. family's not going to come to this racist mm. institution anymore, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just feel like, the word that you just gave, which was just your own story, but I just, I want people who are listening to this to know that if you, it could actually be God that, mm. like you said, this clarity that has, mm. that has been revealed in the last few years, mm. what a call to, for your heart to be left burning, for you to feel that the poor in spirit that you are mm. or the poor losing friends, losing mm. jobs. Like mm. we have friends who've lost jobs because they don't yeah. believe or portray. We have nonprofit mm. organization, ours in itself that lost over a hundred thousand dollars because yeah. we weren't pro Trump enough. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, you have, if, if that is your burning, if your heart is still left burning, I think the word go to the margins. Mm. That's mm. where that's where you will find mm. the the balm for mm. your burn for your burning heart and yes. it's just I think for us as we gather with women who have have been historically systemically sidelined for mm. generations we are finding so much healing around mm. our community, around our table, even if mm. we don't fit in certain institutions anymore. Mm. And, and that, you know what, maybe there are idols that we clung to. Maybe there are things that, that we were trying to build our life on that weren't good foundations because money's an idol. Money's a God. Power's a God. Like giving it up or having it taken away from you forces you to really purify where, where are you at? You know, where are you at? Man, sorry, I got a little preacher there, but I, 
second mm-hmm. offering. I re- I resonate. I resonate <laughs> deeply. Um, I want to know a little bit about this table that you're building and metaphorically, you know, literally, quite literally, you're feeding people, but you're doing, you're doing a lot more than Mm. just that. Did that just slowly evolve over time or was it ideas, needs from the people? And you just said, we're in, nobody else is jumping in. Let's go. How'd that, how did, what all are you doing and how did it happen? Thank you for asking. Yeah. So I do have the benefit that I am from Puerto Rico. My first language is, it's not Spanish, it's Puerto Rican. Uh, and that, uh, that I am actually a local, um, leading local work, even though we were fortunate to have kind of a, a bigger audience than just a local audience, which I know it's a privilege for us as, an, as a nonprofit um, to have that kind of like exposure. We've been fortunate at that for sure. Um, but I'm, I'm just a local dude. Like this is my community. This is where I live. This is where my kids go to school. This is where I shop. Um, these people are my neighbors. And so we, we have the benefit of dreaming beyond the one mission trip for those 10 days that we got to get Christians really busy for 10 days for the photos and for the stories to go back home. We can actually dream of what it could be 30 years down the line. What could our crops be 30 years down the line? What could that corner that we just bought be, you know, what are the needs surrounding us? So basically we feel like we're a bridge. And sometimes that word can be misused because the problem with bridges is everybody walks all over them. Um, so we want to be we want to be an intentional bridge uh, where we're we're exposed fully to our community's needs, and it is our community that's telling us what we should be doing, as opposed to us coming parachuting in saying we have all these training and all these ideas and all these godly revelations about what you guys need. Mm-hmm. Um, that never works. That kind of savior mentality is 100% ungodly in every single way. So coming in to serve, and not just serving with a posture of service, but actually serving with strategy and with intentionality and with a dream that's longer than 10 days. Um, So we we came after Maria. There was a water crisis. So we gave away thousands of water filters, teaching people how to do that kind of double bucket water filter that you can get water. Mm. Water crisis is kind of finishing. We've been all over the island. That opened tons of doors. What's the what's good news? Because the, the gospel literally means good news. Good news to somebody that doesn't have a roof, which at that point was more than 300,000 families, is building mm. roofs. So, okay, we're the bridge. All these people want to help. All these people have this need. Let's start bringing people, contractors and carpenters and whatnot, and let's start building roofs. As we're building those roofs, it's like, wait a minute. Do we want to like bring people from the outside to do it when we can hire local people to do it and we can use our local resources to do it? And so in the, in the relief response, you then discover the development plan. In the, mm-hmm. in the Jesus feeding the hungry, you discover okay, actually, it's the disciples that can feed them. And then it becomes mm-hmm. the standard for the church in the book of Acts. We share everything mm-hmm. we need because we, we need to feed everybody, right? So there's the relief, which is at the moment what needs to happen. I totally believe in that. And I have to say, mm-hmm. the evangelical church is actually good at that. Samaritan's mm-hmm. Purse was here when I had a lot of my mm-hmm. more progressive friends complaining about the lack of response, which I appreciated them using their platform for that. Samaritan's Purse was here building houses, yeah. giving out food, doing the work. So the evangelical mm-hmm. world, I've seen it be good at like the relief yeah. for whatever yeah. reasons. And we can talk about the theological implications of that, right? The, the trying to get people <laughs> saved while they're feeding them, whatever. That's right, not helpful. Right. But really the response to relief needs to be development because yes. when it happens again, how do we respond? And how do we empower these people so that they don't need white charity and white saviors? How do we empower this community so that they become the ones that help Kansas um, when there's tornadoes? How do we how do I transform this region into not just a place of pity, but a place of hope and empowerment and growth? And 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 so that's what we're trying to do. Finding needs that need Mm. response at the moment 
and we'll respond at the moment. No questions asked. That's why we're the happy givers. Our joy is to respond to the need at the moment. But then how can we turn that into an opportunity for, hey, here's a job that this mom can solve this person's need. She can earn some money. We can find some funds. And here's and that's that's kind of like the equation and the formula that takes a lot of work, a lot of intentionality and a lot of money. (laughs) Yes, it does. What is your um, you also I just noticed have e-courses that people can do. Is that right? Did you just launch that? Yeah, we I, I've been doing webinars for years and those have always had a okay. great response and that's been helpful to finance the nonprofit. Basically, mm-hmm. we're just constantly finding ways to make money to feed the nonprofit. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. we're kind of like I'm redoing all the stuff that I've done in webinars. I'm redoing them as e-courses because for anybody that wants to start a nonprofit like the one we started wants to learn from the good, the bad, and the ugly, and the horrible that we've learned from. Um, <laughs> anybody that would like to start an online store to kind of fund something that's meaningful. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody that would like to write a book, whether self-funding, uh, self-publishing, um, or trying to find a publisher. Things that I've walked already through that I'm not just going to wing it. Mm-hmm. I actually have experience in it that I could maybe provide. We're, we're, we're launching new e-courses to help people do that. And intentionally, because we're actually doing that right here. Like we built this. This is the container that we built this year, um, which I is part it. of our, our our future building container homes um, and like shipping containers. Yes. And we're hosting yep. a micro enterprise training center here. So a lot of the content that I'm using online to get money and people train, um, then using that those funds to train local people to be successful here in Puerto That's Rico. Great. Can you give us a little, and I'm kind of working my way backwards here, but I'm just curious about what, uh, what are, um, what does poverty look like statistically in Puerto Rico or in your area? Um, Women, children. Yeah. Yeah. What what are we looking at when we look at Puerto Rico? Yeah. Right now we're looking uh, a great exodus in the last four years of tradesmen, tradeswomen, um, young people who are capable, young people who have studied, uh, young people with degrees, about half a million Puerto Ricans have left the island because of everything that's happened. Um, then you have the cultural thing with the older, the older people. They'll be like, I'm going to be fine. You know, I love Puerto Rico. You go ahead and I'll see you in Boston one day. You go enjoy Orlando and I'll stay back here. That's a very cultural thing. Um, and then third, you have a system that has been crumbling, crumbling, crumbling. Um, we unfortunately have a, a fiscal board established by the U.S. government that is running our finances. Um, a, a group of men and women who really, they're not Puerto Ricans who care about Puerto Ricans. Um, so there's austerity measures left, right, and center. There's way less services, um, educational services, hospitals, um, urgent care centers. That's like a, a non-thing here. And so you add mm. on top of that the pandemic. And and so poverty in Puerto Rico looks a lot like the elderly living by themselves, a massive mental health crisis that is manifested dramatically in hoarding because we've lost so much so drastically so quickly. It's like, how can I keep what's left um, my family has left, you know, the hurricane took this, the land is given in. And, uh, um, so yeah, we are on a, unfortunately on a weekly basis, finding family. And when I say family, it could be an elderly person living by themselves, an elderly couple, a single mom, uh, maybe a single mom living with her mom, taking care of three kids. And so it's the unemployment rates in the 30%, right? Um, so in our, mm-hmm. in our community and a lot of that, um, the talent leaving Puerto Rico and nobody's blaming them. Like I get it. Hey, you can make three times the money and a, and a comfortable job in Orlando. You know, yeah. God bless you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to in any shape or form criticize you for that. But the reality is, um, there's less and less services, more and more need. And, and with the elderly, you know, it's not like they're going to get better because you take care of them. They're elderly. They're going to get older and they're going to have even more needs. So yeah, that's, what that's, the that's system, what we're encountering. What is, what is the <clears throat> government aid system in terms of like, um, 
Medicaid over here or um, what kind of care do the elderly have or disability? Do they have any of those things? I think I'm, I'm also just confused at how America, like healthcare, is it, is Puerto Rico its own thing? Do we help with that? What, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Can you tell me? Because we have, we haven't figured that out yet. It's been been (laughs) hundreds of years um, of trying to figure it out. So basically, we are, like if it was a state, we have our own governor, our own constitution. Now, different to a state, because we are a colony of the United States of America, we can't vote for the president. We don't have representatives in in Congress that can vote. Um, We do go to wars as U.S. military, um, but, and we get taxed. So that, there's a, a kind of little known a taxation without representation. Taxation. Yeah. You've heard of that one. Yeah. There's that. <laughs> I think I heard about it. Yeah. Once, yeah. The, the, the white people fought for that. <laughs> yeah. That thing. God um, almighty. Anyways, um, so because of that, everything that's a good wood, food, anything that's imported to Puerto Rico It's called the Jones Act. It's already taxed in an American port before it comes to Puerto Rico. Um, So everything's between 22 to 48 times more expensive in percent more expensive in Puerto Rico than in the States. The same item, the same car, the same whatever. Um, So it's way less income, way more expenses. And we do have some federal funding for Medicaid. Um, we do have FEMA, right? But, but when you're already well, – when your starting point is $130 a month, that's your income, and $400 on your expenses just to live on government housing and barely make ends meet, then, you know, when you have a crisis on top of that, it's just brutal. So, yeah, we, we have and I would imagine poverty. I would imagine, too, that because of that setup, then like what we're encountering with inflation now in America because of the pandemic, then that's even of more detriment to Puerto Ricans. Yeah, Yeah. unfortunately. So is is that one of the reasons why is that one of the reasons why the thought of Puerto Rican statehood would be of benefit? Because at that point, you then get representation and you can vote for president and you have the full rights and favors that Texas has. That would be, that would definitely be the argument for statehood. Um, now I would say there's the a whole generation would be complete. Yeah. The, the argument right now would be, Hey, we've had this stepdad. This is the best way to explain this relationship is we have a stepdad who's abusive to us, um, who's a jerk to mom, but at least we have a house with food. If I have Mm. a choice, do I want to live with that stepdad for the rest of my life? Unfortunately, if you ask people, traditional, local, native people of Hawaii who became a state, right, in the 50s, they would tell you, even today, most of them, the majority of Hawaiians from Hawaii, they're like, is it really better that we're a state now? Because being a state was really good for American money in Honolulu, a great place to vacation. Um, But for the locals, locals, I don't think it's the greatest thing. So, And I'm speaking now very personally um, and the way I was raised and the voice of a, a generation that's growing more and more like, can we just be independent? Can we find our own way? Can we do trade with Dominican and Haiti? We are, unfortunately, a bubble that doesn't have any trade with our neighbors, with St. Thomas and St. Lucia and Aruba and Venezuela and Jamaica. Like, there's no Jamaican restaurants in Puerto Rico. There's no food from Trinidad here. It makes no sense. We've been insulated to be an American territory dependent on America. And so, you know, that's that's not the best case scenario, but that is definitely another different podcast for another day. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it all, and yes, it, it's so long and, and complicated, but I, I think mm. it does give context to why the need is so great and why mm. it's, it is a statement for you to return. Mm. Uh, that it feels very 
a very deliberate choice to do justice mm. in your homeland. Um, Thank you. When, uh, yeah, it, it it's really beautiful to watch that choice and power, knowing that comfortability-ish, you know, mm-hmm. could have been given. You could have played the game. You could have played the game for a long time. Listen, I've but I something in your game. soul said no. <laughs> I have played the game. I hate the game. And unfortunately, I still have tendencies towards the game. I'm not going to pretend like I don't. Sure. And I was literally releasing my second book, Drop the Stones, Barnes and Nobles in Durham, North Carolina. The big picture of me at the entrance. Tons of people came out to see. I'm reading a few of my chapters in a deep voice and a microphone. I have a line of people and I'm signing their book and asking God for a word for each of them. Um, Mm. I can freaking play the game. And that very night, Hurricane Maria destroyed Puerto Rico, the very night of my book release. And my parents were with me, supporting me, and and they were with me in in North Carolina. And so we, you know, we woke up to not knowing any news because nothing was coming out. We couldn't contact any family members. And we spent about 72 hours not knowing what had happened to my parents' house, to any of my five sisters, Nobody, no cousins, no nothing. Just a couple of clips on the news. It looks like it's really bad. All that to say, I had a phone call about three days after that from a friend who used to be a missionary in the Middle East, a man that I truly respect. He's a good friend. So he had the right to call me and leave me the message that he left me. Um, There was a lot of swear words and a lot of righteous anger. And he's like, don't you effing waste your life selling that book or pretending like that book matters. Don't you waste your life letting the publishers tell you what church you need to go preach on Sunday. Don't you waste your life. You go do what you talk about in that book in Puerto Rico. You go to your people, do whatever mm. it takes, cancel everything you need to cancel. Wow. And it shook me to the core, and I'm glad for friends like that, that knew the temptation, that knew the mask, mm. that knew that way, which he himself had wow. taken multiple times. And... It was like, that was it. I just like, yeah, F it. I'm just going to Puerto Rico. And I started planning trips. People started calling me. Money started coming in. We started selling T-shirts, the Love Thy Neighbor for Puerto Rico. Um, And, you know, here I am. Wow. And you're married and you've got three kids. Yes. Lovely. So what was that conversation like? (laughs) My wife's from England. And she lived, we lived in Puerto Rico together before pastoring in Raleigh, North Carolina. So she was happier than me to move back to Puerto Rico, even though there were power power Mm. outages all the time. And even though we had three kids that, you know, five sisters, tons of nieces and nephews. So for them coming to be with the cousins, even though there was no schooling happening, even though the services were, you know, not one traffic light work, (laughs) um, they were more than happy to be with family. And going back to the very, very beginning, mm-hmm. like when you got family, when you have a community, when there's a meal to be shared, when you can rely on each other um, and in the midst of legitimately being different um, politically, theologically, whatever, the table is open and we could be for each other. It was a no brainer to come back. And it's been hard. Like, I'm not going to mm-hmm. pretend it's freaking hard. We didn't have electricity all day yesterday. We're talking four years after Maria. Mm. We couldn't. We couldn't do work as a team. Um, you know, there's. I'm, I'm one of the ladies that we serve last week. Um, she's. I shouldn't say I have favorites, but she is my favorite. Um, she's on a wheelchair. She lives <laughs> in, in government housing here, and I love just going to take mm. her meal and sitting with her and talking with her. Her son came out of prison a couple of weeks ago. Um, The drug lord of that community wanted him to work, and he said, no, no, no. Mm -hmm. And so last week, that drug lord just pushed him into his mama's house, and in front of his mom just shot him 27 times. It's a home that we go to. These are people we serve. That's like the fourth time somebody in our community has been murdered in the last year. Um, And so, you know, this is where I Mm -hmm. drive with my kids, and this is where we go shopping and these are the people we go visit and, you know, we're trying to do a Christmas party. And now it's like, well, now we got a funeral to go to. 
And so it's not easy. Yeah. I, I do live in the Caribbean and the beach is two minute drive. Um, but it is freaking hard and there is a lot of freaking need it is. and not being in the center of a media conversation. It means we feel forgotten for sure. Um, and pushed to the side of all yeah. the other narratives, um, that seem to be more important. Mm. So here we are doing the work and finding joy where there's joy to be found. I had a question about that because I think sometimes in our work as well, the, the trauma mm. is so high and the engagement of um, sorrow. I mean, really seeing, especially as Brett works with offenders too, mm. you know, there's so much temptation to just like yeah. screw it. Like, yeah. what are we even doing? Are we making an impact? Like, mm. this is too hard. Um, or it's okay if I'm going to, if I'm going to be in this, you know, then the temptation is to relieve or cope in some maladaptive way that's not healthy, Um, whether it's eating too much, drinking too much, whatever. And um, I wonder for you, you know, the the irony of it is that, like, your organization is called the Happy Givers, right? So, like, I was thinking about this, and I'm like, you're doing (laughs) hard work. But you're called the happy givers, and it's this really tension between suffering and joy that you're holding. How do you, do people expect for you to be happy all the time? Because I don't know, I'm just yeah. curious. Like, No, it's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> I slightly regret They're like, wait, the that givers. doesn't sound like a happy message. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of so regret I'm, it. How? But it, but it, but it's a good censoring <laughs> thing. It reminds me, but I kind of regret it. <laughs> yeah, like how do you, how do you come back to that in the midst of like, like let's just say, I mean, this week you're you're holding this tension between joy of of mm. Christmas mm. and the beautiful work that you're able to do, but yet you're going to your fourth mm. funeral this year. Mm. Um, what brings you back to the joy in that? I mean, how do you, yeah, how do you do that? Dr. Juan Fumero helps, my psychiatrist. Um, yes. <laughs> he's yes. very helpful. Um, Heidi Rodriguez, mm-hmm. our marriage counselor, we see every other week. She's mm-hmm. very helpful. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, my yeah. wife and her, my wife and her grace, my children and just their, or constant, just hilarity um, at everything they do. Um, my dog that I used to hate dogs, but now he sleeps with me. That helps too. Stroking him when I'm stressed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. And this and a wonderful team that is really here and is really present. And and yeah, so it. No, honestly, it is funny, and it isn't funny that the name kind of sets this standard or this expectation that it's impossible to live in. Um, cause I'm not, I, I'm some days I'm not happy and I'm not generous. I don't want to give, I'm tired of giving, I'm exhausted, I'm drained and whatnot. Um, but giving room for that to be my reality, not, not even for a, a day. It's yes. been like, it could be three weeks that I'm just not there and that's okay. If that's okay, then it needs to then be okay for everybody, for the whole community, for the whole team. It also needs to be okay for my kids and for my wife. And my wife and I have this statement that has saved us from a couple of things. We always tell each other, whether right or wrong, this is how I'm feeling. I'm not making any statements mm-hmm. about right, rightness or wrongness. This is just how I'm feeling. And a lot of permission to express that. We just had a meeting with the team yesterday in this very room. Um, and I, I, I open up the table, whether right or wrong, I want to know how you guys are feeling. Because, you know, the numbers are down and sales are down and donations are down and more families are coming in. And, and we have this tension of the right. need that's coming like a freight train and the lack of sourcing to actually support. Um, and so just having permission to not be either a happy or a giver keeps us being the happy yeah. givers. <laughs> and so, How, it's joy. amazing. <laughs> it's, 
It's so, it's so good. It's so refreshing. I just, I relate on so many <laughs> areas that I don't, I don't think I expected to find. Um, I probably had assumptions yeah. about who, how you even showed up in the world. And I think mm. it's so refreshing to see um, the authenticity and probably just, I mean this in not a super spiritual cliche way, but the repentance Mm. Um, from, from where you were to where you are and what that means for the poor and the marginalized and the oppressed that you're mm. walking arm in arm with. It is so, it's so much more, um, whole, you know, it's, it's such a whole posture to walk with room and with space for that much. Um, and it is hard but man, it's beautiful to to see. So thank you. Um, really grateful you, for Emma. your authenticity. Yeah, it thank helps. You, it helps us as we continue to walk. Yeah. Well, as we um, come to the end, how how can we direct people to you? How can we um, encourage people to come around and support what you guys are doing there on the island? So we have thehappygivers.com, which is our online store. But it also has all the information for donations, for trips. Um, we're really fortunate in Puerto Rico. We have, I think right now, it's the second highest vaccination rate in the whole world. Um, it was one for a little wow. bit. I think we're at two or three. Um, we, we've been fortunate. There, there was an actual um, famous economist that did this whole study of the last six months of the pandemic and used Puerto Rico as an example of like, the people have been through so much, they weren't willing to fight each other and whether we should wear masks or not, whether we should get vaccinated or not. People mm. just like, what do we need to do to be okay? Because we need to be okay, like, yeah. right? Can we agree we need to be okay? <laughs> yeah, let's be okay. Let's be okay together. And so that's not even a discussion here. There's nobody like complaining one way or the other. Um, and so we are fortunate to be able to start hosting teams. Of course, very intentional about the communities that we're serving or how we're serving. Um, so we're drafting um, different scenarios where teams can come. We've been fortunate because uh, an NBA player donated a house right next to us that is going to be the house awesome. that's going to be hosting um, the teams as they come. It's, it's kind of like half shelter, half host home. So, for example, this lady that went through the death of her son, she really can't be in that little apartment, so we're going to host her in this house. When there are crime, you know, either um, climate crises that some families need a space to stay that's safe, uh, we can have them. So, so we're growing. We got the campus here where we are. We're producing shirts and mugs and hats and T-shirts, etc. We have the house that we're now finalizing to host teams because we love hosting people to come and serve. Um, and then we have seven acres of land where we're going to start um, a food forest. It's already a sod business, which is great because that's funding the nonprofit. And we're hiring people that usually can't get jobs in our area. We have a place where we can hire them and give them dignified work. They feel good about it. They're part of our ecosystem. That's also really helpful. So there's tons of projects happening, tons of movement. But supporting us financially, buying a shirt or just giving up a straight donation or actually planning to come with a team that you know would be helpful, not intrusive, that would be, that would be mm-hmm. awesome. All of all of it is welcome. Mm. Brett, I think go. I think we have a team ready to go. Yes. A team we of, go of women who have been through it and oh who gosh. are ready. Oh my gosh. They yeah. Yeah, we, we got a and team broke. of survivors who would come and love to learn. Oh my gosh. We would love bro, to you got, you got you gotta see my salsa. <laughs> Wait, you're cooking salsa or you're dancing butt salsa? Which one? Oh no! Oh. My, my well, we are. Our, our team could dance. Your dance could dance salsa. as well. <laughs> that would be awesome. Now I do make I a good salsa wait. as well. I can bring my Texas <laughs> hot sauce. <laughs> That'd be great. No, but honestly, I'm not trying to be cute. Like the whole purpose of that house is to be able to host teams. Really intentional. These are the days that we're coming. Uh, our social workers got all the files. 
This is our. These are the three families we're seeing. These are we, the needs we're providing for. Um, this is how we're doing it in a way that is dignified, that's honoring, that is not intrusive to their way of life or or kind of the flow of our team. So we're trying to like honor both our community, the individuals, and even us as a team. And so that when teams come, um, it's seamless, it's helpful, um, it's joyful. There's none of that savior mentality. They're coming to serve and to serve in a like strategic way. So we that's 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 why the house is there. So please do come seriously. It's beautiful. Well, I hope I'll more say, people who you, are listening to this podcast who might not and everything else. Let's do it. Do let's it. do it. Yeah. Um, I hope that the people listening to this uh, who maybe aren't familiar with the Happy Givers will check out. Um, their work and will follow Carlos Rodriguez, but get ready. It, uh, his uh, Instagram posts and tweets are not for the faint of heart. So get ready <laughs> for your heart to grow um, and to be challenged um, because his voice is a very truly prophetic voice. Um, not in the way that maybe we grew up learning about, but it is it is a voice that is worthy of listening to. So thank you, Carlos, for joining us today. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you guys for making room for me. We'll be in touch.